Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. All right, did you bring a Bible with you today? Come on, if you have your Bible with you, I wonder if you'd pull it out from wherever you're keeping it. And uh, maybe that means you got to close down some other apps, and so you're ready on your Bible app. Pull out your Bible if you have it. How many people bring an actual paper, analog-style Bible to church with them? Come on, wave at me if you got a Bible with you. Awesome. How many people use their phone? Amazing. Incredible technology. You know the Bible app, uh, just this, I think two weeks ago, they just passed half a billion downloads. Half a billion downloads. 500 million people have downloaded the Bible app. And, and that whole thing is spearheaded by a church who does it for free. They had a, had a vision about 15 years ago, I believe, or 12 years ago, to begin this project. And they give it out, distribute it for free. They have a whole staff. That's a pretty generous church. It's called Life Church in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. And uh, really grateful that they do that. Hey, today we are going to look, whether it's in your Bible app or an analog Bible, uh, into the book of Hebrews. We're going to begin in Hebrews today, and I promise you we're not going to stay there. Okay, we're going to start there, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to move around a little bit in the Bible today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do some kind of, you know, finger calisthenics. We're going to be moving in the Bible today, and we're going to be moving fairly quickly. But I do want to start at least on the same page, okay? Hebrews chapter 13. If you could get to Hebrews chapter 13 and go down to verse 8, it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. One of the greatest promises in Scripture is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you have experienced from Jesus in the past, you can anticipate in the future. What you're hoping for in the past can also be your reality right now because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think it's the greatest news that Jesus doesn't change followed closely second by the fact that he's still changing me. I think that's also really good news. I'm grateful that this is not the finished product yet. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now go down to verse 15. It says, therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Let's pray today. Jesus, I ask in these next few moments that you'd speak to our hearts from your word. I pray that there be something today that resonates within us. There would be something today that echoes in our soul, something today that moves us from complacency to action, that moves us from uh, mere interest to passion. We ask for this in your name. And everybody said amen. Hey, we're in the third week of a series on altars. This series we've been, we've been thinking about for a while, praying towards for a while, wrote a song uh, for it specifically, because this concept, this symbol, is used 433 different times in Scripture, a reference to an altar. It's at an altar that we stop and we pause and we recall and recount and rejoice and remember. It's at an altar where we, we not only remember, but we sacrifice. Last week we talked a lot about sacrifice. It's at an altar that we experience moments of intimacy with God, intimate connection, worship with God. And it's at an altar that there is revelation for our future. That's why 
in the book of Romans, Paul could say this. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, that's the remembering piece, let's offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice piece. It's holy and pleasing to God. That's the connection to peace, that we can actually affect the emotion of God and please him. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's that revelation piece. It's at an altar where we can expect something significant from God. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the writer of Hebrews says, so let's keep on living those lives of sacrifice. Let's continually offer sacrifice. I love what it says. It's a sacrifice of praise. Somebody, you came in today, and uh, praise wasn't even a sacrifice because you were just feeling it. It was just your jam. You're like, oh, I like this song. It was easy to praise today. Or, or maybe that person that you were hoping would choose to sit by you did, and you're like, whoo, I'm ready to praise God. And it's easy to just go, you know, throw out a big praise God. When things are going good, it's, it's a little bit easier to praise. But for some today, praise for you was a sacrifice, wasn't it? Because the person you didn't want to sit beside you did. Praise for you was a sacrifice because that was not your jam. You don't prefer that song. Or, or you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, and, and yet here you are. And you chose to give a sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews says, we got to keep doing that. we we got to allow that to be our, our lifestyle. we got to keep on living lives near the altar of God, lives near and adjacent to that place of sacrificial worship. And, and what is the sacrifice of praise? It is openly professing that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's continually coming again to that place where we go, man, Jesus is the Lord of my life. There's no one else. No one above him. There's no one beside him. There's not, not some uh, mystical, cosmic tug of war for my soul. I, I'm serving Jesus. He's my Lord. And when we profess his name, we are living with the fruit of our lips, giving praise. I love when the Bible refers to the fruit of lips because it indicates that there is a root to our lips as well. And the root of our lips is our heart. Jesus said this, that out of the fullness of your heart, your mouth begins to speak. So out of the, the root system of our, our mouth, our words come forward. It's in our heart. And so continually offering the sacrifice of praise to God means that our hearts are continually in a place of surrender towards God. Remember when I, when I was young, uh, I, I was in a church, and there was kind of like, it was really a family. You know, sometimes people say churches are a family. This one specifically for me also included some of my aunties, uncles, and cousins, so it really did feel like a family. And there was this one song that, that used to be sung. It, was, it went like this. We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. If you know it, you can sing along. We bring the sacrifice of praise. I didn't think you knew it. And, uh, and I remember really specifically like an early memory in church. It was the type of church where, where kids stayed in the room during the worship time and then were dismissed. And before we were dismissed, we would come forward, and usually there was like a little story perhaps that was told. Someone would read a little story. All right, kids, let us tell you the story of Jonah. And then we'd read a little story, and then we'd be like, come on, let's cheer for the kids. And we'd all walk on and be like, I don't know what I did right, but this is awesome. You know, like adoring fans. And I remember being in a worship setting like this, and my Uncle Dave, 
He was kind of like, he was like the worship leader for the kids. He was never on the stage. He never had an instrument in his hand. But he, he, he was like a dancer. No formal training. I promise you that. But, but, but he just had like a little worship hop that he kind of did. And his hop was always directly uh, timed up like a metronome to his clap. So every hop had a clap to it. It was like, can you picture it? Okay. Uncle Dave is about this tall. And, uh, and, and he just loved to kind of get the, the party going. He's, he's the consummate hype man. And so a song like this would begin, and Uncle Dave would be like looking at us like, come on, kids. And then we'd all be sitting there dancing with Uncle Dave. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house. It wasn't a sacrifice, truly. It was fun. It's kind of fun when you're, when you're like five years old dancing around in church. It was pretty easy. And, and, and throughout life, I found, like, I love moments like that. But I've also grown to really love moments that require digging a little deeper. I've also grown to love those moments where in the midst of pain, I can still experience the presence of God. And I can still break through out of, out of the thing that I'm in or the thing that I'm feeling by saying, it's not about what I'm walking through. It's about who I'm walking with. And God is with me, and he hasn't left me, and he hasn't forsaken me. He deserves all my praise. And I might not see him at work, but I trust he is. Are you with me today? I love a sacrifice of praise. I love that we're called to continually live that way. I love that it's, it's this, this call that worship would actually be our guide, that we would have that first and foremost going forward in life, that we would live lives of worship. Earlier this week, I was getting ready for our online uh, service. We, we kind of prepare some of the pieces for online. And we have people who continually uh, are connected to Vivid and call Vivid their home church and they gather only online. And some of them are scattered across the world, and some of them are scattered across our cities but are in a more vulnerable place or time and unable to gather in person. And they continue to call Vivid their home church. It was really a beautiful thing. As we were preparing for that, I just said, man, I'm going to run out and grab a coffee. So I ran down the street. I grab a, grabbed a coffee for myself and for Sam. And I'm walking back. And, and there's like a, a walking lane and a bike lane. And they're only indicated by paint on the ground. But it's fun to watch some people really follow those rules, right? Don't you love a good rule follower? It's like they're, they'll just, they're kind of waiting because, well, this is my, I can't walk on that empty part of the sidewalk. This is the walking part. And I was walking, and I just happened to be on the, the walking part of the, the sidewalk. And I was walking with a couple of coffees, trying not to spill. I, I was never a server, and so my, my spilling skills, like I, I'm pretty careful about it. I don't walk as fast as uh, maybe I typically would. And as I was making my way here with, with a couple of coffees, this guy I could feel was kind of walking up behind me. I could feel his presence, and he was walking just slightly faster than me, like maybe two beats per minute faster for those musicians in the room, just a couple BPM faster. But enough that I could feel him kind of like, wow, you are in my blind spot for an awkwardly long time. And I realized very, very quickly, I'm like, oh, this guy's one of those rule followers, guys. He's, he's going to stay in this lane, this single lane for people. And he was kind of walking up, you know, right there, kind of right in, in my space. Now, I don't have much of a, a bubble. I'm good with it. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a friend today. This is going to be great. And I looked over to make eye contact, and he just wouldn't look at me. And so I'm walking with my coffees, and I'm like, 
trying to make a friend, and he's having nothing of it. He's just like, I'm on a mission. I, I felt like in his head, he's like, I can take this guy. I'm faster. And he was just walking just slightly faster than me. And then it hit the most awkward point. Being slowly passed is not that awkward. It's when you are now in their blind spot, and you have a decision to make. Either I need to slow down, because we've now been walking together for about 500 meters with no eye contact, which is actually weirder, by the way, man. Just give me a little smile. So either I need to slow down and just let him do his thing, or I need to speed back up. Because I can't just stay in this awkward. And uh, I'm like, man, I want to get to recording. I'm just going to speed back up. But I thought, now, I'm not going to just kind of speed back up with him, because what if we do that? This could wreck my whole day. So I'm like, man, forget it. I'm, I'm just changing lanes. So I, I got into the bike lane, and I sped right up, and I just, I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm, I'm not, no worried about spilling anymore. Like, I didn't want this guy to think I'm actually that slow. You know what I'm saying? And today, as I, I prepared for this message, I, I feel kind of the same way. Like, either I need to slow way down and drill down deep on one story, or I need to jump into the bike lane and just start cruising, okay? Because, because... This is the series for this month. We only got one more week this month. And if I get too stuck in the mud, we're going to look at like one altar for the next nine weeks, and we're never going to finish. So I have made the decision today. We're going into the bike lane. We're speeding this thing up. And like, just hold on to your coffees, okay? Are you with me? If you take notes today, you're going to need to take some notes because we're going to be moving pretty fast. What I want to do and establish, if you, if, if you would allow me to over these next few moments, is to, to paint a broad picture of a life of worship. If in the book of Hebrews it says we continually offer a sacrifice of praise, what would be impossible and foreign would be if we had to have the soundtrack of our favorite worship song playing continually in order to live that way. It has to be that worship is broader than just singing our favorite song, or else we could never obey the scripture. Are you following with me today? And so today, if I could, I want to look at some different stories that took place at an altar and establish kind of the broad strokes of what a life of worship might look like, a life lived at the altar. If you're taking notes today, uh, turn with me. Like I said, we're going to be going all over the place. I want you to turn with me, if you would, into the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis. And first and foremost, let's see this. Worship at the altar can be spontaneous. If you're taking notes, write that down. Worship at the altar is spontaneous. In the book of Genesis chapter 33, Genesis 33, we see this story of a, a man named Israel. A man, his name is Jacob, but he's also known as Israel. And he's terrified to see his brother who he's wronged and cheated. And he's been thinking about it for a while, and his anxiety level is growing. He's certain that there is a, a pretty fearful altercation about to take place. And in Genesis chapter 33, they finally cross paths. The thing that he's been, uh, you know, kind of faithfully looking towards for a while. And it goes better than he was thinking. It doesn't go worst case scenario. Instead, his brother greets him and goes, oh man, the stuff you did is in the past. We're good. I love you. I'm glad that you're here. And in a moment of spontaneous worship, Genesis chapter 33 and verse 20, uh, let me start at verse 19. It's, uh, verse 20, it says, there he set up an altar and he called it El Elohi Israel, or God of Israel. In a moment where things went better than he was expecting, his first thought was, whoo, that was God. I would love if that was our first moment. 
If that was our first response. I think a, a worshiper's response when things go better than you expect is, whoo, that was God. Oh, man, God was, was really for me in that. That conversation that I thought was going to go awkward didn't go as awkward. Woo, thank God. Oh, man, I'm just going to take a moment and build an altar and give some praise to God. Life of worship. I don't think uh, Jacob planned to build an altar that day, but in that moment, he's like, oh, i got to stop and praise God because that was a miracle. Do you know, I think there's certain people who attract miracles. Generally speaking, I think they're worshipers. I think worshipers attract miracles because they see the miraculous happening around them. Uh, there's, there's people like, ah, oh, you know, miracles never happen. But you get around a worshiper, you're like, how is God always at work in your life? It's just crazy. Like they just attract the miraculous because they are attributing to God his goodness in everything. Spontaneous worship. You know what's beautiful about, about building an altar? Is it, it is built upon the unpretentiousness of working with what you got. An altar that was fitting to God was not of cut, perfectly uh, manicured, masoned stones. It was actually called to be uncut stones. Just find some rocks where you're at, and you can worship. That means that you and I have everything it takes to live a life of worship, just with what we got. With a voice we couldn't even carry in a bucket full of holes, you can still worship God right where you're at. You don't need to play an instrument. You don't need to remember a lyric. You, you, don't, you don't need to be part of a band. You don't need to actually find yourself in a church service. You can be a worshiper with just what you got, the uncut stones of your life. I love that the Bible says that God is looking for a cheerful giver, that God is looking for us to make a melody in our heart that is joyful. It's not always skillful, but we work with what we got. Amen? Life of worship is spontaneous. We also see this, that a life of worship is nostalgic. There's a nostalgia. I love a new song, but I love a good old song. Are you with me? I love a new song. Oh, wow, I've never thought to say it that way before. Now that's kind of opening up a new train of thought. But I love a good old song that you just know the words to and you know the beat and your toe just starts tapping because, like, oh, I, I know this song. Here's what we see. The very same person, Jacob, just two chapters later, he experiences some of this nostalgia. Look at Genesis 35 and verse 6. It says, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz. That's called Bethel in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called that place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. He's talking now, 20 years have passed, and he remembers a moment where God met with him, and he's like, I just want to go back to that moment, and I want to relive that moment of breakthrough and remind myself that God was there for me then. Worship at an altar is nostalgic. It's spontaneous, yes, but it's also nostalgic. There is those times where maybe you need to look back through the files of your life and remind yourself, whoo, God's been good. Oh, my, I don't even know if I ever stopped to, to accurately thank him for his goodness there. I want to relive some of those moments. I love that, that my phone is reminding me of old things. It's great. I, I, I got so many photos on my phone. I never really stopped to look back through all of them, but I love when the phone's like, we just thought you might like this photo, and I usually do. It's amazing. It just knows. But imagine if we could set those type of reminders in our soul. Man, we just need to stop and remember the goodness of the Lord. This is, like, if you, if you dedicate, I'm going to read the Psalms, you, you can't help but find yourself recalling and recounting the goodness of God. And you look back at your low moments, and you're like, but I'm here. 
God got me through. This is what Jacob does. He goes, hey, guys, I want to show you something. I want to take you back to the place. It was right here. And it says it was him and all the people with him. He's like, right here. Before any of you were born, kids, dad met with God. You know, they say you can always tell if, if your dad is a tradesperson because he drives past random job sites. And he's like, ah, that wall right there, your old man is part of building that wall. That's essentially what Jacob does. He's like, guys, i got to show you the spot. And they get there, and there's nothing impressive about it except for the story connected to it. He's like, right there, right here, God met with me. And I felt abandoned, but I wasn't. Worship is nostalgic. A life of worship. How do we continually offer sacrifices of praise? Well, we, we do it spontaneously. We also do it purposefully with some nostalgia. I want to I go back to an old story of the faithfulness of God. That's, there's something about establishing an atmosphere of faith in your own soul. When you need a breakthrough from God, to go say, well, let's just go back. Remember that other time? Remember that last time? You remember that, that, that story? Remember that instance? God met with us there, and if he can do it then, he'll do it again. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thirdly, we see that worship is systematic. Systematic. There's some spontaneity. There's some nostalgia. You don't always know when nostalgia is going to creep up and find you. But there's also a systematic nature to it. Look at the book of Leviticus, if you will. Are we talking about Leviticus? Yep. Leviticus chapter 6. I find there's a lot of people who have read Genesis and Exodus, but not that many who have made it through Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 6. Go there with me if you would. Leviticus chapter 6. Go to verse 12. It says this, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering and the fire to burn the fat and the fellowship offering. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. Friends, I want to remind you, if we're going to live a life of worship, the fire needs to continue to burn in our lives. It must not go out. And for many of us, we think we think that serving is sacrificing. It's not. Serving is just stoking the fire in our life. That's what it says in Romans It says that we keep our passion by serving the Lord. When we serve, we're not sacrificing. When we serve, we're just attending to the fire in our life. We are addressing the passion level of our own life. So when a sacrifice is required of us, doing the thing we wouldn't want to do, serving a person we don't want to serve, forgiving someone who's wronged us, walking in integrity when it would be easy to cut a corner, doing the right thing when nobody's going to praise us for it, when sacrifice is required, we have more than enough fire to consume that sacrifice. A life of worship is systematic. A, a, a person who is a worshiper is not just someone who likes music. There's someone who goes, I daily attend to the level of passion in my own life. How do we continually offer to God sacrifices of praise? How do we continue to do good for others, the sacrifice that's pleasing to God? Well, we attend to the fire of our own soul. Let me ask you, how's your passion level right now? How's your level of passion right now? The thing I love about passion is some people are loud with it and some people are quiet with it, and and, and both are passionate, okay? There's a loudness to passion and there's a deep burning to passion, and both are for real. How's the passion level in your life? Are you attending to that fire in your life? You will need to do so systematically. There's some beautiful worship songs that have been written that, uh, that tell God it's his job to make us passionate. 
I wonder what he thinks of those songs. You know, come, God, I just want you to light a fire in me again. He's like, that's your job. You do it. You serve. You, you put in, in, in the disciplined work. So often we ask God to do our job, but then we're like, but I, I got your job for you, God. We don't want that switch. I will carry the weight of the world on my shoulder. What will life be like for my kids and my kids' kids? What's the world going to be like? Well, how about we just begin to honor God in our life daily, every day, and establish an atmosphere of worship in our homes, and let's just see what the world is like. Like, I'm going to carry the weight of the world, God, but you're going to need to get my passion going because I'm burning out for you. He's like, just get the fire going in your own life. That's our job. It's systematic. Number, number four, if you're taking notes, we see at an altar that worship is essential. Can someone say essential? Oh, come on. Can someone say essential? Oh, I wouldn't mind never hearing that word again. Worship is essential. Look at the book of Ezra chapter 3, if you would. In Ezra chapter 3, we see that, uh, that the people of God who have been separated from their destiny, they return home. And in that place, the first thing they do is they rebuild the foundation of the temple. As they rebuild the temple's foundation, the church's foundation, the older people amongst them are devastated. They're like, this is not the way it used to be. Back in my day, we worshipped differently. And the younger people, they're excited. They're like, wow, guys, we got a foundation. Imagine what the future will hold. Isn't that an interesting indicator for us in our own minds of how we're doing in the aging process? Are we still thinking about the future or are we only living in the past? There's something that happens in your mind when when the, the majority of your thought begins to go towards your past and your memories outweigh your dreams you are becoming old. So they rebuild this foundation, and then on the foundation it says they build an altar and they sacrifice. And they do it right on that foundation. I think what we see here is the essential nature of worship in the church. Showing up in church is not worshiping. Being a social club where we look around and we're like, man, I, I believe in Jesus and so do you. That, that's not essential to what church is. Worship is at the center of what church is. On the foundation, it's essential that we live lives of worship. So how do they model this? As soon as the foundation's built, they're like, that's the best place to start worship. Let's not wait until things get good. Let's make them good right now. A worshiper goes, I'm not going to wait until the atmosphere is just right. I'm going to worship right now. I'm not going to wait until the convenience has risen. I'm going to worship right now. Built on this, uh, this essential foundation. Are you following today? I told you we're in the bike lane, okay? I Maybe I'm spilling a little bit of coffee, but I'm not going to slow down. Number five, if you're taking notes, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. At an altar, we learn the lifestyle of worship. Look at Genesis 26, if you would. You see in, in Genesis, essentially, the, the, the flowing of a story from Abraham through to Isaac, through to Jacob, through to his 12 sons, and by extension, through to the world. Why? Because God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, saying, through you, I will bless the whole world. What you bless, I will bless. Those who curse you will be cursed. Like, you will actually carry my blessing. It's going to pass on from generation to generation to generation, only because Abraham believed. That's it. God was just gracious, and Abraham was like, yeah, I, I-, I believe you. And God's like, that's righteous. It's pretty cool. It sets a model for us that righteousness for us isn't built on effort. It's built on faith and re- receiving from God his righteousness, which is pretty cool. So we see a lot about Abraham. 
We see a ton about Jacob. In the middle, there's Isaac. Isaac we don't see as much about. Isaac, he, he's that like, uh, he's like the guy who runs the second leg of a 4 by 100 You just kind of forget that guy, right? The guy who's starting it, you're like, all the hopes and dreams of the nation are upon him, on your mark. And he gets down, and there's that quiet, long pause, set. And you're waiting for the gunfire. And then you come around that last bend, you're waiting for the last handoff, and then the person who gets to, to take it across the line. But the second leg, the hard work leg, man, you, don't, you kind of forget that. I think Isaac's kind of the second leg. Just a, he's, a, he's a baton passer. But we see in the life of Isaac, check this out, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 25, it says, Isaac built an altar there, and he called on the name of the Lord, and there he pitched his tent, and his servants dug a well. I love this verse. Isaac built an altar, so he began to worship. And then he's like, I don't want this to just be a passing, fleeting, momentary thing. I want to stay in this atmosphere of worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my house here. I'm going to set up my tent. He was a wanderer, but he's like, I don't want to wander away from a place of worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my home here. In fact, let's dig a well. Let's, let's make this place a long-term pause. Let's make the presence of God a place that we feel at home. I hope as we grow in worship that we feel very at home in the presence of God and make it a lifestyle. I hope that the distance in between times of worship shrinks more and more until it's like we're just living here. I hope that we understand that we can be sustained, that there's like a wellspring of life by the altar of worship. If you're taking notes, check this out. Number six, worship is excellent. There's an excellence to worship. So yes, an unpretentious nature of uncut stones, the spontaneity of, whoo, God was good in this moment, I'm going to worship him. But there's also an excellence that we see modeled in Scripture through worship. And I think for each of us, let's level up our worship game. Let's get better at worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 14. It's the story of Solomon building a temple. He establishes a temple to the Lord. And uh, there, there is more celebratory worship than has ever been seen in the nation. In fact, it says that the sacrifices they bring exceed any of their expectations. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 14, as they have meticulously worked to perfect the presentation of this temple, it says this, verse 14, then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests couldn't even perform their service because of the cloud of the glory of the Lord that filled the temple of God. So often we create this false dichotomy that either it's spiritual or it's planned. The things that are, are, are planned, if we put in too much work, then we're not leaving room for the Spirit. I don't know if you've been around church circles that talk that way. But it's like, we've got to just leave room for the Spirit. But imagine this, seven years they prepared for that worship moment. The, the, all hands on deck, getting ready for that moment, the unveiling of the temple. And there was like shepherds and farmers bringing the best of their, their flocks and herds for the, the sacrifice. There was worshipers who had been rehearsing for seven years. It says amongst them some, it was their job to play the cymbal. Imagine that, seven years. Got to make it shimmer. They're all preparing. There was, there was artists and carvers, like people who carved. They, they across 
the, the top of the wall around the temple, they, they carved meticulously the golden pomegranates. Imagine that. They're like, okay, I got another one. That only took a month this time. I'm getting better at po- carving pomegranates. It was like it was perfectly ornately prepared, but then God shows up. It's not one or the other. I think it's both and. Worship in our life, spontaneous, yes. But as we grow, let's grow in excellence. Let's bring our best to God. Let's put planning and preparation into the way that we worship. Are you getting something out of this? If you get something out of it and you're good, you can just tune up for the rest of it, okay? But, but someone else needs the next one, okay? Worship is personal. At the altar, we see worship that's personal. Worship that's personal. Look at the book of Judges, chapter 6, if you would. I told you this is broad stroke stuff. Each one of these could be a message. I, I was thinking the other day, I've been a pastor for about 20 years. I have preached thousands of messages. Any one of these could be a whole a whole series, could be a whole you know, pause and let's uh, set up shop here and, and learn something from this. But I hope it's helping to establish some broad strokes. Judges chapter 6, we see a man named Gideon. A man named Gideon, his biggest problem is fear. He's intimidated and terrified, and yet God calls him. When, when God appears to Gideon, he goes, Woo, mighty man of valor, meaning you are so brave. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm terrified. But God sees the best in us, even when we're at our worst, doesn't he? He sees us in our lowest spot. He goes, I see who, who I'm making you to be. And he sees in Gideon this boldness, even though Gideon can't see it in himself. And, and, and God lovingly encourages him to lead his nation. It wasn't an easy pathway. It was, he was like the least likely guy to do it. And he stood up and he said, yes. And in doing so, we see here in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, it says, Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is peace. And to this day it stands. I love that what Gideon experienced in worship was exactly what he needed. It was so personal that it was filling the gaps that were existent in his own life. His biggest issue was anxiety, and so he experienced God as peace. Isn't that cool? I love that that God reveals himself hundreds of different ways throughout Scripture, different idioms and, 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 and phrases and metaphors and similes used to describe God. But for Gideon in that moment, he, God was just exactly what he needed him to be, his peace. I believe whatever you need from God, he has the, the supply for your demand. Gideon experienced exactly what he needed from God. Let me give you a couple more. I got a bunch more, but for time's sake, we're going to look at just a few more. Worship happens in moments of relief. Moments of relief. Kind of like spontaneity, but moments where you go, that could have gone a really different way. We see in the book of Exodus, chapter 17, Moses is in this battle. And uh, it's all the people of Israel. They've never really fought before. All they've done is build pyramids for Pharaoh. They've never really fought. And they find themselves in the wilderness, and they're fighting, and they're, they're in danger. And God says to Moses, hey, if you just lift up your hands, as long as your hands stay raised, you're going to win. If you drop your hands, not so much. So there's Moses and, and all the brave young men. They're out fighting. They look up on a hill, and they see Moses with his hands raised. And they're like, we're good at this fighting thing. It's amazing how good we are. We're winning. 
And then Moses gets tired and his hands begin to drop. And they're like, why did this get harder all of a sudden? So Aaron and her, his, Moses' his buddies, they come alongside and they help lift his hands. And he just leaves his hands raised. And as long as they're raised, we're good. And then it says, and then Moses built an altar. And he said, the Lord is our banner. I love that. Because he raised, he's like, man, God's really, his ways are really higher than my ways. His ways are really above my ways. I was going to look, look at a bunch more, but I think we'll stop there today. Earlier this week, uh, Sam told me a story, and it just is one of those times where you hear something about one topic, and it relates completely to another topic. Sam and his wife, Barbara, are about to have their first baby. It's pretty awesome. Just in time for Christmas. And, uh, and, and so this week, Sam found himself at one of the worst places any human can ever be, at a, a, a children's department store. And uh, you, you, you need to know about Sam. He's, he's a meticulous uh, studier, researcher, if you will. So he knows exactly the product he's going for. He knows how it specs out compared to other products. He knows which one. They're going to try to sell me that Graco, but I'm not going for that Graco. He knows exactly what he came for. But he still found himself in line behind someone who didn't. And, uh, and so I, I, it was a long time, Sam described. And they're, like, getting multiple things, doing all of their shopping, and the same person is asking this poor sales associate who there's no way they make enough commission for this, just asking him, mm, but what would you do? It's like, are you asking me to co-parent with you? You know, what would you do if you were me? And they're going on and on and on. And then Sam said this thing. Like it was hilarious. It got me laughing. And then I immediately thought of this. He said, I wanted to just say to the person, you know the Internet exists, right? Like, you know you could just go find this self up for yourself. And it made me think, you know, you know, sometimes when it comes to a life of worship, hey, like we know Jesus exists, right? We, we know that, right? I think it's why in, in Hebrews where we began, he goes, you, you know that Jesus isn't changing, right? That the same God who, who works in the mysterious way of Moses raising his hands, God's still powerful. He's still on your side, right? You know that when you acknowledge God that he's actually fighting for you, right? We know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You, you know that that Jesus is still filling in the gaps that you have in your life, right? Like you don't have to find, like what's the formula to find peace? Jesus, because he exists. And so if peace is the thing you need, you will find it in him. Also, if wisdom is the thing you need, the only qualification is that you're a fool. Come on, that's pretty good news. In James it says, if anyone wants wisdom, they should just ask. And God will give it to them without finding any fault. You know the thing you need is found in Jesus, right? That you, that you don't have to just look at the way someone else lives and go, like, why are they so happy? I got to cheat. You know, I need their cheat code. You can actually come to Jesus and continuously offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips giving him praise, that open profession that Jesus is Lord. You know he exists, right? Maybe even as I ask you that today, your answer is like, well, yeah, I think so. I want you to know. In fact, Jesus is so personal in this, he, he says that he comes to the doorway of our heart 
and he's knocking on the door of our heart. And if anyone would say yes to him, then he'd come into the proverbial home that is our life and do life with us. Wherever you are across the room, if you would bow your heads for a moment. I want to ask you a question. You know that Jesus exists, right? And if your answer is no and he's not yet the Lord of your life, I'd love to pray with you and to lead you in a simple prayer that would be the beginning of the greatest relational adventure you'll ever be on. To to know and be known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. With no one looking around, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. This is a fairly personal moment, yet we do it corporately. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I wonder wherever you would, if you just raise your hand, I want to pray with you a simple prayer. Maybe you feel that sense, like God's knocking on the doorway of my heart today. God's speaking to me today. I'm looking across the room. If that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Or maybe you say, yeah, yeah, I know all that stuff, but I think I've sort of wandered away. Like I evicted him a long time ago. I'm not really walking with God right now, but I want to come back into that place of relationship. If that's you, would you raise your hand as well? I'm going to pray. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Anybody else? You say, that's me today. Yeah, I see it. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together, if you would. In fact, across the church, if you're, if you're living in relationship with God, you know how good this is. Would you join us as we pray? Some people are making this decision today for the first time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me. Today, I'm responding to your call. I repent for my sin. I acknowledge that I need you. And I receive your grace today. In your name. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for these people making this decision today. I thank you that you're going to meet with us. I thank you that this is an altar-type moment. We're stopping and pausing. We fall short of the things we intend to do often. Today, we're asking for the courage, the boldness, the fortitude to see it through. We want to live lives of worship. I pray, Lord, that we become ever more excellent in the way that we worship, ever more systematic in the way that we worship, that we would not only be people who worship from time to time, but we would be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And I pray for breakthrough to follow the decisions being made today. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.